Welcome in. It's Downtown, the podcast, episode 30. Rich Kimball, Carrie Haskell with you from the Zone Radio Studios in Bangor. Our show, Downtown, originates from here Monday through Fridays, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on WZON Radio, WKIT HD3, on the website streaming audio at downtownwithrichkimball.com, or you can download the handy-dandy, easy-to-use WZON app. Well, we'll talk with a couple of talented folks today on the podcast. One, an Emmy Award winner, a Tony Award winner, an Oscar nominee, and the other, a legend of comedy. Brian Cranston and Paula Poundstone will join us for conversations here on this week's Downtown the Podcast, the 30th episode. I feel like we just started doing these, Carrie. How did we get to I mean, I know the math of how we got to 30, but it doesn't seem possible. It, time has flown by on these. It has indeed, yeah. Uh, well, uh, this is a, a, a two-time guest on the podcast. He was on uh, one of our first episodes, if not the very first. Uh, Brian Cranston, back with us. He is on Broadway in previews right now for Patty Chayefsky's Network. If you remember the film from the 1970s, uh, it was taken to the London stage about a year ago and now is at the Belasco Theater on Broadway previews now performances uh, begin a uh, grand opening and all that sort of thing in the month of december but always a treat for us to get together and talk with the very talented brian cranston brian uh, good to have you back with us how are you yeah a little tired we're we're uh hitting rehearsals during the day and then performances at night for uh as is part of the course for for jumping up and, and doing <laughs> another play on broadway yeah. <laughs> Careful what you wish for. Well, exactly, Ooh, boy. Well, the last Ooh. time we talked with you, you were uh, you were in rehearsals in London for the production. There was, was this part of the plan all along to bring it to Broadway. No, it, it was it was something that was discussed after um, our success in, in London, where we had sold out. Uh, we sold out before we even opened, which was surprising to me, but but exciting. But I also wanted to find out if the play was working well and if my experience uh, doing the play was fulfilling. And if that was the case, then I would consider uh, bringing it to New York and, because you, you don't want to commit too far in advance and, and have something turn out like, oh, no, why did I say yes? <laughs> <clears throat> but I had a hunch it would be great, and I think it really is. I think it, it really tells a wonderful story very prescient, uh, written back in the mid-70s by Patty Chayefsky for the movie of Network, and now um, for the theatrical production of it. And it's, 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 it's very current. Well, yeah, for a show that was written 43 years ago, but of course back in the mid-70s, the idea that people would someday get all of their news and information from television was intended to be satire. Uh, who knew other than Patty Chayefsky? Isn't that something? Um, yeah, and it's it's uh, deals with the manipulation of news and and having it presented uh, presented to the public in in a packaged form that it's predetermined, um, so it's easily susceptible to an agenda. That certainly has become what we have, whether you're liberal or conservative. You you have those outlets that that do that that appeal to your own specific ideology, and while that may make you feel good, t- 
temporarily, is it really good? Is it is it news, or is it opinion? It used to be separate, um, and now it's all mixed into one, and you it's hard to differentiate between what is opinion and what is news. So we have to be very careful about that, and um, and don't take opinion as if they're facts. Your character, Howard Beale, rails against what the industry is becoming. Do you see him as a, a hero, a victim, or, or perhaps a, a little of both? I, I, don't, I don't consider him either one. You know, when you, when you play a character, I, I don't stand in judgment of the character. You're, it's like you're living your life. Uh, it's like if you were to ask me, uh, do I consider my own self a hero? It's like, what? No, I, what? I, <laughs> I'm just uh, an actor trying to find good stories to tell. And Howard Beale is a, is a newscaster who either has an epiphany or a breakdown. And there's a, there's a, there's a thin line between the two. Um, and it's ambiguous, and the, the audience can decide for themselves. I just want to be able to, to walk the line and, and, and be able to uh, present it as honestly as I possibly can. Now, I know in the London production, uh, you were uh, encouraging fans of the show to send in videos uh, saying, mm-hmm. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Uh, will that be part, is it part of the Broadway production as well? Yes, we've already sent out the video, and we have uh, citizens from around the world who have sent in little clips of, of saying, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Uh, and they are on stage with us. So you'd have to come see it. Maybe maybe your video made it up on Broadway <laughs> and you'll be on stage with me. Uh, not the only audience members on stage, because you're offering, uh, as part of this show at the Belasco, on stage dining uh, has that posed some interesting situations during previews? It's such a crazy idea. Um, we did this in London too. The designer Jan Vazveyrold. Um, I'm sure I'm mangling his name. <laughs> it's Dutch, and I have the most difficult time in pronouncing the Dutch the Dutch names. Uh, I finally got Ivo van Hove, our director, <laughs> but that's a little easier. Anyway, um, Jan designed the set with um, with a restaurant, a working restaurant, and I thought it was a joke. And I thought, well, you mean a restaurant? So all the actors are going to be sitting at the restaurant pretending we're patrons? No, they're real patrons. They're real people <laughs> who buy a premium ticket to sit on the stage with us during during the show and all through the show. It's it's a, a a bold move, and I've asked the people who are actually in the theater itself, how does that feel when they see that? And since there is no actual curtain, when people come in to the show, they see the set, see the diners, and they accept it quickly, and then the show starts, and you don't really pay much attention to them. It's, it's odd how, how well it has worked. And I would not have guessed that, but it's a, it's an interesting piece. It fits in some many ways because in the story of network, Howard Beale's news broadcast becomes, it, it goes from being 
straight news to being a show, a piece of entertainment, which is what we see nowadays. Talking heads, arguing, fighting with each other, name-calling and walking off the set and all these things, all these histrionics. Well, his, his news program goes from the evening news with Howard Beale to being the Howard Beale show. And when it becomes that, we welcome all the patrons who are not only on stage with us, but also uh, in the audience as if they are invited guests to watch a show, as if it were a sitcom in Hollywood, and you'd go watch, watch them shoot this show. And so that's the idea is to have that kind of interaction. And I, I do interact with the, with the, the people on stage as well as uh, in, the, in the audience. And uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Brian, does the uh, the immediate feedback you get from doing a stage role feel more fulfilling as a performer than the more delayed reaction you get from doing film roles? Well, that's that's exactly it. Um, the actual performing is far more engaging and fulfilling if you're doing stage work. For me, anyway, I, I, I can't speak for, for all actors, of course, but for me, it, it is because you get to tell a complete story, a beginning, middle, and end every night. Now, the drawback to that is that a good stage play will have a, 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 a heavy emotional content. So every night I go through an emotional, you know, I get hit by an emotional bus mm. and like. <laughs> I get exhausted, and yet it's exhilarating. Um, so it, it's, it, it takes its toll after doing eight performances a week, uh, and you have your one day off, and then you go back and you do it all over again. So, And I'm 62 now, so it's not as if I was a spry 58 the last <laughs> time I did, I did Broadway. <laughs> We're talking to Brian Cranston here on Downtown uh, in previews now at the Blasco Theater on Broadway is uh, networked by Patty Chayefsky. Uh, yeah, everything. So much that was in this movie has come to pass. How long will it be before one of the networks adds Sybil the Soothsayer? Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> and Pop Vox and all these other kind of interesting little, little uh, uh, ancillary characters uh who support the the new entertainment mm. the, that the news has become entertainment but you know it also addresses interesting um elements of our current culture and that is the idea of being addicted to television right and in it howard rails against his audience for just oh, oh, only three percent of you people read books only only 15 percent read newspapers and the only truth you know is what you get on your television. Well, that's still the truth, because the televisions have just gotten smaller. We hold them in our hands now. And um, uh, by and large, that's how you get everything that you know is what's on your iPhone. And that's a, that could be very dangerous. Uh, it, it ceases to, to develop a, a desire to have interactions in person and discussion. Um, there's so much content and so many 
avenues for a person to to venture down on on today's technology that you as they often say you get lost you you fall down a, a wormhole and you you're just like dealing with six seven different layers and you forgot what you initially went on your phone to to look up or 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 read um it 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 comes back to the same thing that they, people were railing against television when they were the big consoles in yours and my <laughs> living rooms, and that is they thought it was going to be the death of of everything. And it's like the new technology is fantastic; it really is. I mean, it is a wonderful tool, and it's exceedingly helpful beyond our wildest imagination. But it is still a tool, and the purpose of a tool is to use it. Once it starts using you, right. you've lost control. And so that's just, a, for me, that's always my reminder. If I, my default mechanism when I have a moment of, of, of silence or breath is to go to the phone to see what's going on. And it's like sometimes I, I have to catch myself and go, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Keep looking at the architecture of this building or look at that beautiful tree or do some people watching. <clears throat> um, we've kind of lost that in our society. You talked a little bit uh, about the creative team, a wonderful cast as well, including Tony Goldwyn, Tatiana Maslany. It has to be a lot of fun to work with that group every night. Very talented actors. I worked with Tony maybe 22 years ago on a, HBO project called From the Earth to the Moon, where he played um, Neil Armstrong and I was Buzz Aldrin. So we, we're in Apollo 11 and and and, uh, and negotiating how to do that and who should get out first. And it was uh, it was a fun time all those years ago. And now here we are, past middle age, and uh, <laughs> we're uh, we're on stage together. He's such a terrific guy and a son a fantastic actor. He's really great in this role that, that William Holden made famous. Mm. And Tatiana Maslany, equally talented, um, taking on the role of Diana, who was played by Faye Dunham in the movie. We uh, talked with your friend John O'Hurley the other day, and he told us that uh, you two were at the last game of the World Series this year when the Red Sox wrapped up the championship. Now, I know you grew up as a Dodger fan. Have you changed allegiances? I, You know, in 1975, I became a Red Sox fan. Uh, as I'm always a Dodger fan. You're, you you want to stay true, and of course I am. So I had some, some conflict with this World Series. My biggest hope was that it would go seven, that it would be a really well-played, uh, exciting series, and, and I was disappointed that it didn't because it would have been great for baseball. Um, but, yeah, you know, back in the day when I was growing up in, in Los Angeles, it was a National League city, and we only saw National League teams unless your team happened to make it to the World Series. Right. Uh, that was it. So we are kind of, it's, it, was, it was really divisive be, between the National and the American <laughs> League. And then 1975, the Red Sox are playing the Cincinnati Reds and the Cincinnati Reds and the big red machine were killing my Dodgers. 
So I wanted to root against them. <laughs> and I knew I heard the story of the Red Sox, a storied franchise, and, and they hadn't won in a long, long time. And so I just became a Red Sox fan, hoping that they would win in 1975. Uh, they didn't, <laughs> of course. And, but I've been, that was my American League team for many, many years and still is. I still like the Red Sox. So I still have the, the Dodgers and the Red Sox as my team. Well, we're glad that you at least split your allegiance. So we'll, we'll let you into Red Sox Nation. That's that's good enough for us. Okay. <laughs> uh, hey, by the way, now it's your third time on the show. So uh, what that means is that uh, you get preferential parking outside the studio here. <laughs> that's right. I, I appreciate. It. If I just see if there's a plaque, it's like, and and you could just say reserved for guest. <laughs> That'll be you. It says guest, yeah. but it's you, Brian. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Ryan, we thank you so much. Uh, hoping to get to New York uh, to see your show. Uh, Jeff Daniels has been on with us a bunch of time. My plan is to get there and see To Kill a Mockingbird and to see Network. I, I know it's going to be amazing. You got to do it. It's going to be a, that's a great double bet, a double bill there. Yeah, it sure is. Absolutely. Well, uh, break many legs. We wish you well. Thanks very much, Rich. All Talk right. to you again soon. That's Brian Cranston here on Downtown, the podcast. When we come back, Paula Poundstone talks with Carrie Haskell in advance of her performance here in Maine after this word from Cross Insurance. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Five years ago, a couple of friends got together to create balanced beers that pay respect to the rich German tradition of brewing, layered with the nuance and eccentricity of modern brewing. And with that, Nice Brewing Company was born. Based in Limerick, Maine, in the foothills of the White Mountains, Dustin and Tim combine their love of beer, science, and their German heritage for truly unique brews. Whether it's the nice Weiss, their sun and shine, stouts, porters, IPAs, or any of the seasonal offerings, you'll love what they've got brewing at Nice, G-N-E-I-S-S. Ask for beers from Nice at your favorite restaurant or bar, and look for Nice in cans all over the state of Maine. Work hard, play hard, be nice. Our next guest on Downtown the Podcast has been making people laugh for more than three decades. Legendary comedian, of course, uh, you know her as well from her work on NPR, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, where she's been on so many times, Carrie Haskell, that she's lost track of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of appearances. It is indeed. She's got a wonderful podcast as well with maybe the best title in all of podcasting. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. (laughs) Well, we do when she comes on our show, and uh, we had a great time recently when Carrie got a chance to talk with comedy legend Paula Poundstone. I need to pass along uh, my missing person report to you. I can verify that your missing survivalist guest, Thomas Coyne, is not in the uh, WZON studios on Broadway here in Bangor. Uh, I also had our engineer check for you, uh, our transmatter shack on Kings Mountain in Orrington. He's not there either. That was one of our greatest suspicions, was that he was located there at this time. 
But for those on, on our on our podcast, uh, nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. We were going to have this guest one day. For those who don't know about this, we are one evening. Um, uh, a guy named Thomas Coyne, and he we were going to. He was a survivalist, or is a survivalist, and he he was going to explain to us what you do when you encounter a bear. And um, so the time you know we get ready to do the show, we're sitting in the studio waiting, and Thomas Coyne never showed up. <laughs> Which I think that for a survivalist not to make it to the show um, suggests some r- rigorous conditions. So ever since then we've been uh, we've been looking for him. And, you know, we we called, we emailed him, we texted him, we used all the methods that we had contacted him to be on the show to begin with, and never got a response. So ever since then we've had our listeners scouring the country, uh, telling us where he isn't. And uh, we have a, a, a map, in fact, on, I think it's the Facebook page for Nobody Listens to Paula Pounds. And we have a, a map that shows uh, where he isn't. Well, you can check off, uh, you know, studios in Bangor, Transmitter Shack in, in Orrington. He's not there. I'll, I'll continue to, you know, search Eastern Maine as, as much as I can for you. We really appreciate it. Constant vigilance. So, yeah, and if anybody doesn't know what's going on with your podcast, they need to. It is a great, great podcast one of the, the oh that's so nice to hear thank you yeah i enjoy it a lot the uh the weekly house band um is a lot of fun Do you you and you cover a lot of different instruments uh most recently this past uh, uh this past last one was the vibraphone player uh you've had cello accordion double bass trumpet everything my i gotta say my personal favorite was your uh the pipe organ for your halloween special Oh, nice to hear! I'll pass that along. Yeah, we had a. Um, uh, speaking of pipes, we had a we had a bagpipe player one night who was really kick-ass. I mean, we sort of figured that the bagpipe would be, you know, sort of hard to listen to, and maybe you know that there was something just sort of funny about bagpipes. But I gotta say, uh, the bagpipe was one of my favorite house bands. Um, and stay tuned, listeners, because the didgeridoo is scheduled soon. Ooh, that's yeah. That that's a can't miss one. I I have a feeling. I was talking. To, we had a production meeting yesterday over the phone, and um, we were talking to Adam. And Adam uh, uh, Adam's a musician himself. My partner, um, Adam Felber, and so he he often uh, uh, talks to the musicians about you know when we need them to play and that sort of thing. And so we were saying, well, you know, uh, you know, we want. Uh, especially at the beginning of the show, really upbeat music, and and we were, and we're like, okay, we have the didgeridoo coming up. I think <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure I've ever heard upbeat didgeridoo. I've no, I'm looking I've, forward to it though. I've heard it a few times, but no, it's it's I've never heard an upbeat uh, a yeah, tune yeah. played. No, I think one. it sounds a bit. I, I I don't know what a moose sounds like in real life, but my guess is um, <laughs> there's a similarity. Uh, now the pipe organ, uh, and you've had other ones too. But he had a theme. The the pipe organist, whose name I'm not going to remember, unfortunately, uh, he had a theme song ready for go to go that he he played for you. I thought that was one of the uh, one of the high contenders. Have you made a final decision on a theme song for the show yet? Oh, we've been having a theme song contest since the inception of the um, podcast, um, which, by the way, is called "Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone," and. Um, no, we haven't settled on a theme song. We're continuing to uh, um, ask uh, 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 people to submit them, and we've had a, a rich um, array. Uh, so we, pay, we play like some samples of the theme songs um, here and there, and uh, they've, uh, 
we've gotten almost every genre now. I mean, I don't think I don't think there's been like a Gregorian chant one yet, but the night is young. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, your guest list. We, we like to say that downtown has Maine's best guest list due to wonderful guests like yourself. But uh, your podcast definitely has one of the most eclectic guest lists, uh, especially when you start looking at the careers of the people you're talking to. Um, so we had uh, we had a woman come in to talk about mold, house mold. Yeah, and, uh, and she was. You know what's funny? She was great. She was she was bubbly and enthusiastic. I mean, part of we. I, I, I'm I'm trying to get people that can explain to me, you know, stuff that I just need to to know. Uh, to survive, um, you know, like if I was moving out of my parents' house, what would I need to know? And uh, and and see, you know, every time I suggest something, a lot of my coworkers are like, "Well, that seems a little down. I don't see, I don't see where you're going to get. I don't see what's going to be funny about that." And and then these people will come on, and they're so into their jobs, like the, um, like the uh, they don't call themselves exterminators anymore. What are they? Pest pest, pest control. control. The pest control guy, he was this young guy that was so enthusiastic, not in a morbid way about pest control, but really, you know, he really understood the psyche of rats. Yeah, well, uh, is and he's helping you with your uh, your various infestations that you've had. Silverfish, yeah, which... Infestation of the week segment sometimes, because, yeah, I... Uh, I, in fact, I, I, I've had I've had rats. I've had big logie flies. Oh. I've uh, I've had uh, you know, of course, the little silverfish things. I have. I fortunately have not yet had roaches, but I know that somewhere after the mold, they're on their way. Now, have talking with all of these folks, have you have you sparked that fire for a, a career alongside or instead of I'm comedy? Always- I'm always on the lookout for a career where I don't have to do any self-promotion, um, <laughs> where just where where I'm not stuck saying I'm going to be at the blah 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 on December 31st. Um, uh, but so far, so far, I don't have the skills to do uh, any of these jobs. That seems to be the the biggest problem. Um, I, I you know I've been a comic for 39 years. And uh, although I do believe you can teach a, an old dog new tricks, um, some of these I just am not sure. Um, we did have a real estate woman one night, um, but I don't think I'm effervescent enough. She was she was very bubbly. She was very bubbly, and I got the sense that, and she was like the new age uh, 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 um, realtor, you know, that do stuff like. Like she had a one of the houses she was selling, uh, or they, they call it, you know, she had the listing for. Um, they were, uh, you know, they had like a sushi party. I, I'm not sure how that sells a house, but I guess it does. There was a lot of like have a party at the house that you're selling, or um, you know, it's way beyond have the smell of baked cookies now. <laughs> um, it's it's way beyond pointing out that a room is spacious. Um, now they have all sorts of tricks too. And I don't know, I just, I'm not so into tricks. <laughs> uh, we're talking with Paula Poundstone here on downtown. She's got a show coming up in a uh, on November 24th. Now moving to beloved Jonathan's. I love Jonathan's. Jonathan's. Yeah. It is a great, great place to see a show. Uh, move away from the podcast for a little bit. Any thoughts on the election results from last week or. 
Yeah. Uh, you know what's funny? I was watching uh, the news hour last night on PBS, and uh, my favorite news broadcast. And this is, I don't know, several days, anyways, after the election. And they were talking about, they finally came to the conclusion that indeed it was a blue wave, which um, Trump and and um, some of the Republicans are so good at messaging that even after the Republicans, I mean, excuse me, the Democrats, you know, really had a very successful night, mm. they were still able to convince even the Democrats that they didn't. Uh, it's it's masterful. I, I mean, it's truly masterful. If it was used for good and not and and not bad, sometimes it would be an amazing thing to see. But anyways, um, yeah, we and and California. I think Trump has actually gone to the border of California with a saw, and is now trying to cut it off of the United States. <laughs> he's going to turn into Lex Luthor in uh, in Superman, where he's going to try to just you know. <laughs> He really does not like us here in California. Yeah, well. He's had it with us. So that during our fires, he, he picks that time to uh, criticize um, forest management. And by the way, I don't know when he became an expert in forest management. He said the other day that he knew more about the, he knew more about the Fed than did the Fed chairman. And um, so his level of expertise. I was thinking the other day that if they ever do a biopic of me, um, Trump will probably play me because clearly <laughs> he must know more about me than I do. Well, um, just ask him. I'm sure he will explain the uh, the bits of your life that you're missing uh, missing out on. He does do this thing where, you know, he'll say something that's like an absurd fact. Um, not a fact at all. He'll say something that's an absurd notion. And then he'll go, uh, and he'll go, everybody knows that. You know it. And Every now and then I have to sort of stop for a minute and go, like, I have to think it over. Did I, you know, did I leave that in the closet in my brain somewhere and I've forgotten that I knew that? Like, no, 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 that's because that's not so. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting time, especially I think for kids growing up now, like it, it, the idea that you have to, um, that you have to put everything that's said through fact-checking. Um, and it didn't used to be that way. Uh, you know, every now and then Beaver Cleaver lied, um, uh, but you know, within 22 minutes they'd come to the bottom of it. Yeah, yeah. You need, everybody's got to walk around with, uh, yeah, the fact checker is a full time job for everybody now. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it is pretty extraordinary. Um, but, but we, were, you know, we were, uh, we, we were happy with many results here in, here in California, and, um, and I imagine that. Florida will have their numbers in sometime next year. Well, yeah, and they may decide, you know, whether Al Gore won or not by then. Oh, gosh, wouldn't you like that? You know, they do have to come up with a good counting system. Uh, clearly, whatever they're doing there, they're every, it's like every time, you know, like the judge, the judge didn't work, and then this time, uh, I don't know. What, what was the state where the ballot, no, that might have been Georgia, where the ballot, um, oh, a lot of people just didn't vote for a senator because of the way the ballot was designed. Yeah, I think that was in Georgia. I, 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 I remember hearing that. I don't remember the exact state. Wendell, my assistant, just said Texas. I, 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 I'm not certain. But anyway, it's one of, one of those that was sort of 
one of those that was authentication challenged to, to begin with. Um, like they designed a ballot to sort of obscure the uh, Senate race. So as a voter, by the way, I can't imagine going into the booth and accidentally not voting for a senator. Um, I mean, we are, do you in Maine, do you have to vote for judges? No. Uh, do you, no, Maine judges are appointed. Uh, we vote no. for district attorneys, but not for judges. We have to vote for them, and no one knows. I mean, no one knows. I mean, unless, you, unless you're a criminal, um, no one knows judges. So, you know, people, those who take voting very seriously are, you know, just days before the election scouring, um, you know, just looking anywhere for some sort of judge hint. Oh, yeah. Strange system. Yeah, Maine, um, Maine has offices like that. Uh, we have uh, county treasurers that, that we're voting for and, and things like that that just nobody really knows who these people are. Uh, until they see a name and have to try to decide which one to put in. Right, yeah, we have the Board of Equalization. I don't even know what that is. I think it's like a couple of people who like hold up something that's a pound, and then they hold up something that's 16 ounces, and they go, they go yeah, yeah, seems about the same. <laughs> um, I, I feel like I have to ask this uh, before, I know we've only chatted for a little bit of time, before uh, we wrap up, I feel like I have to ask you if there's any life advice that you need to impart to me today oh life advice um let me think here yes i have a lot as, as you well know i um well i can tell you what i did when i was younger um uh because i have a lot of cats um i had an i, I had an ernie doll you know as in burton ernie mm-hmm. ernie puppet and uh I kept him in the refrigerator um, because my cats used to eat his hair. <laughs> and uh, it's just something I want to pass along that people might be able to use. Uh, you know, I took him out every now and then to enjoy his company, but for the most part, you know, uh, being an adult, I didn't really play with the Ernie doll just that much. I just liked the presence of him. And he was as decorative in the refrigerator as he was going to be anywhere else where the cats could have eaten his hair. Protect protect the dolls by from the cats. They they can't get into the refrigerator. Refrigerator, you know, no one thinks to decorate the inside of the refrigerator. Um, but you know, opening that door and 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 having a you know a a dopamine hit. That's what I got every time. And it wasn't just from the uh, pecan pie that lay there waiting for me. <laughs> well, that is helpful because I have a cat, and uh, I would not put it past him to start eating things around my house. Knickknacks uh, of, of any I grew variety. Up with a cat that ate everything. This is where you learn things. My parents used to keep their um, their will in the butter dish in the refrigerator, and uh, they said that it was because if the house burned, that the refrigerator wouldn't. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what they believed, and uh, and that's all fine. But you know, every time we made toast, we thought, "Oh, mom and dad might die." Uh, so I don't know. I have, that's why I say use your Ernie doll, not not necessarily a will. I have known people that have hidden cash in the freezer. Um, oh. Just, I, I don't know the reason. I never asked the reason. I, I just, I assumed it was because the robber wouldn't think to look there. took some cold cash out of there. I, you know what? I don't have enough to hide in the freezer, but <laughs> now that you've said it, if I ever save any, that's where I'm putting it. Thank that's you so place, much, but. Paula, for uh, taking the time to chat with us today. It was nice talking with you. Thank you.
Take care. Paula Poundstone here on Downtown, the podcast. Uh, thanks to Paula. Thanks to Brian Cranston. You know, those are a great example. You two people have had enormous success, both as down-to-earth and as nice and uh, great to talk with. And in both cases, no difference when the mic is on or the mic is off. No, not at all. And, uh, yeah, they just... They, they call up and they're ready to have a conversation and that's what you'd love to see. Yeah, and you don't get rote answers. You get, as you said, it's, you're talking, you're having a conversation. And uh, man, that's why we love having both of them on the show. Thanks to Paul Poundstone. Thanks to Brian Cranston. And thanks to you for joining us on this week's edition of Downtown, the podcast. <laughs>